part of the media ministry of Cornerstone Church. You can listen to this and other messages on our website at www.corner-stone.org or by subscribing to our podcast. Open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 this morning. Christ is known in Scripture as the suffering servant. So if you're going to use that word suffering to describe Christ in some respects, certainly we cannot expect our lives to be free from suffering. In fact, if you go to almost any page of the Bible, you can see some aspect of suffering happen, even in the most godly of people. Some would argue that Job was one of the godliest men who have ever walked this earth. And yet what we see in the story of Job and what we see in his life is this suffering. And it really was not caused by his own Sinfulness, that is direct sin. He was a sinful man, yes. And so he was fallen like the rest of us. But we don't see that he begins to lose all these different things because of this direct sin. And everybody can say, okay, if you wouldn't have done that, Job, this probably wouldn't have happened. Many times that happens in our lives. That we can be in the suffering, we can see the source of that suffering. And a lot of times it is our own rebellion, our own sinfulness. And yet, For us to take on a biblical perspective of suffering is really, really difficult. And I think that it's difficult for all of us, but I think it's especially difficult when it comes to our families and those that we love so much. I say this a lot, to the point where I feel like I'm repeating myself quite a bit. But guys, it's so true that we start to lose some spiritual perspective sometimes in a very honorable way that is we just love our kids and we just love our spouse and we just love our family. And so all of a sudden when we talk about suffering well, we're going, okay, that, that's okay, Bobby, but you know, as long as it doesn't happen to my girls or to my, to my boys or to my family or to my wife or to my husband. We really have a hard kind of trial uh, and, and uh, battle with trying to keep a spiritual perspective but when it affects people that we love like that. And so this morning, here's our account. We're just going to get, get to see what Paul says. Uh, that he has a Philadelphian church that is very, very concerned about him. They love him. We've seen in the first couple, in the opening 11 verses, that he loves the Philadelphian church, uh, uh, the Philippi church, I'm sorry, uh, the church of Philippi and the Philippians, and they love him. And we see that because they are sitting there pastor to go take offerings to him and then kind of meet his financial needs and other needs that he might have and they have one burning question hey Paul are you okay are, are you okay are you doing well we hear that you're in prison we hear all these other things that are done uh, are you okay I, I did a real quick little just overview of, you know be careful what you google guys uh, and I said you know suffering well and I just went and all of a sudden there was spiritual perspectives and some books that were really grounded in scripture and then there's these others that I would say that were either uh, along the signs of um, prosperity ministry or something like that and they were are that suffering is you know just one of these things that if you just have a positive attitude you can get over and guys it was so clear to me one had a biblical perspective and one had this kind of hope that somehow we just kind of rise above and that God's just going to deliver us from any pain and any suffering in our lives whatsoever if we just trust Him up and we just can claim it. What a fine line between truly believing the Word of God and claiming victory in Jesus Christ and believing something that's just kind of a bumper sticker out there that if we're just positive enough, everything's going to turn up well. 
why would the Bible call Jesus the suffering servant? If there's ever an example of somebody who is holy, would you not say that Jesus Christ is the ultimate example of perfection and holiness? He is God. None of us are like him. And yet, what does, how do we describe him in some aspect? A suffering servant. To think that suffering is not going to come into our lives is not only foolish, it's unbiblical. But how do we get a perspective so that we can say, okay, God, are you using this? Is there any hope? Is there anything? Answer this question. The day that they put Christ on the cross and that he died on the cross, is that the darkest day of all human history? Is it in one way also the most majestic day of all human history? Isn't that amazing that the darkest day can also, also be the source of our hope in our life? That on that day when the Son of God, perfect God, takes on the sin of mankind upon himself, that darkness of that, with no guilt in him, is the very hope of our lives. Well, can we keep that kind of a spiritual perspective when suffering happens to our lives? or even more so, our household. So difficult, guys. I mean, would you admit that you find yourself in a quandary with that? That there's a quandary there of, of uh, you know, I, I want to be biblical, I want to be spiritual about this whole suffering thing at the same time. Don't be touching my family. I mean, do you get that? And so as we open up this one, I want this the, the Holy Spirit just to speak to you in an applicable way. Yes, we're going to go through the history of this. We're going to go through the application of this. But it's one of those things, guys, if we just look at a historical thing and say, Paul, man, he was quite some guy. No wonder he was an apostle. Because this is a special guy. If we don't see the application of this truth in our lives, then we've just done a history lesson. And I don't think that God has called us together for a history lesson this morning. So with our Bibles open in Philippians chapter 1, again, Paul's in prison. He's in Rome. And uh, he's, in Acts we can find, and in 1 Corinthians we can find where he wanted to go to Rome. And God always told him, no, no, no. And he kept on wanting to go to Rome. Why did he want to go to Rome? To see the Colosseum, to see different things. I don't even know the Colosseum was there yet. But it was one of those things he didn't want to go because he was looking for a good travel bargain. He wanted to go to Rome because it was the center of life back in those days. And he wanted to share the gospel. He had great intentions. And yet God kept on saying, no, no, no. He finally gets to go, but it's not in the way that he thought. He goes in chains. And he's in Rome now, but he's in prison. Chained 24 hours to four different guards. They took six-hour shifts. And so he's just, you know, they're waiting his death, basically, the Bible would tell us. And so the church in Philippi, they find out about this, they hear about this, and and they send their pastor, Ephroditus, and they send him to take both provisions and money and, to, again, to basically find out, Paul, are you doing okay? And this letter includes Paul's response to their concern. Are, we doing, are you doing okay, Paul? Look at his response. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. They hear that he's in prison. Prison wasn't a fun time. It's not now, it's not then, but it really wasn't then. And so here he is with all this stressful situation. And he says, I, I want you to know. I just, and that word know 
is that there's two different main words for, for to know in Greek, and this is to know by experience. I want you to know, in other words, he's saying, I want you to know the truth, and I want you to know that I am experienced in this. I'm not saying this out of theory. I'm saying this out of actuality, that I really know that's what's happened to me. The reason I'm in this prison and in chains is because God is advancing the gospel through it. This isn't Paul just putting on his most optimistic kind of face. This isn't Paul going up going, I'm going to claim it, and, and I'm just going to believe it. No, he says, I, when I see what God is doing, I probably wouldn't have chosen this route. In fact, I wanted to come so many other times, and God said no, but I see where God is using this. The word that Paul uses there to advance the gospel is an interesting word. Uh, you may have in your translation, if it's not the uh, the SV, to progress the gospel. You may have that. You may have another word. But do you see that word advance there? It's one of my favorite New Testament words. Prokipe. Prokipe. You don't have to remember that part, but please remember this part. It means to advance, to progress. It's a word that was used. This is such a... I, I love the Greek language because it paints word pictures. And the word picture here, this was the word that was used by the Romans as they were advancing and going to war and to battle when there was a thick forest and they had to send out somebody to clear the forest so that the troops could advance. Instead of having to go all the way around here, here's the forest and it's right there in front of them and they need to get out there. Can we show that next picture? So you can imagine that before this was just a thick forest and yet strategically the Romans going, okay, in battle I want to go this way. We increase our, our chances of victory if we just kind of cut through this forest. But how do you march a legion or several legions of troops through a forest? Can you imagine what that would look like? You, number one, it would just take forever. And so what they would do is they would send these woodcutters. Just think of Roman lumberjacks, okay? And they would send them, and they would clear a path. And we're not just talking about, like, six feet wide. They would clear a path so that the legions of troops can come through. Now let me ask you a question. In cutting this path through a thick part of the woods where there really wasn't a way before, did they do it with intention? Why? I'll just go pick some trees and start cutting them out. No. We want to go from point A to point B. And guys, you take all your guys out there and you start cutting down these trees and and make a pathway so that we can bring the Roman troops through. Great intention. That's the word Paul uses. In talking about his suffering, he goes, there is great intention with what God is doing. He has really caused this to advance the gospel. Does that make sense? Because guys, there's going to be dark and suffering days in our lives. And we're going to be able to go and we're going to be able to say, okay, this isn't really a reaction from my sin or a sinful or rebellious choice. Yes, I'm a sinner, and, and yet this isn't really a direct result of this. No, somehow, I can't figure it out, but somehow maybe God is trying to use this to advance the gospel. And guys, I want you to know that in the thickness of that forest, when you say there's just not a way, that God has prepared a way. This isn't just bumper sticker theology. This isn't just, okay, turn your frown upside down. This isn't just hopeful kind of thinking. Because there may be days in your lives, in my lives, or again, let's just be real, 
in the lives of our children, our grandchildren, that the only hope we have is that God is somehow, through our suffering, using it to advance the gospel. Does that make sense? That somehow God is going to use this for his glory and for the advancement of the gospel. I didn't say for the advancement of of our own prosperity or this, that, and the other. This is where it would be really different from prosperity preaching. Just name it and claim it. And I'm not trying to be silly with that, guys. I'm just saying, I just don't see where that plays out biblically. That if we just want this for our own prosperity... That we are the ones advancing. What if God uses your life not to advance you, but to advance his gospel? How many hands are going up for that, guys? And Paul says this, and do not miss the weight of his words. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Did he mean that? He did. He said that's what God is doing there. Now look at verse 13. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. I'm here for a purpose. There's intention. Not just because I was preaching and they told me to stop preaching, not just because I kind of violated some Roman law. Now I want you to know that God has purpose in my imprisonment. What is the imperial guard? It's the also can be known as the Praetorium, uh, uh, Praetorium Guard. Uh, they were the special forces. Have you ever heard of like the special forces that we have? Navy SEALs, those kind of guys. That's who these guys are. They're the elite of the elite. They receive a double pay than all the other soldiers. There's about 9,000 of them. So it's a select group. And, and this group is now chained to Paul, four different men a day, six-hour shifts, and uh, they're, they're chained to him. He's awaiting a, a beheading. He's awaiting a death when the Roman emperor says, okay, it's time for him to go. So he knows what's coming. The Holy Spirit has already told him to say goodbye to his friends. And that's why the, the Philippians are so concerned. Paul, are you okay? He said, I'm okay. Here's why I'm okay. Because I really can see that God is using this to advance the gospel. Could there be a day in your life, could there be a day in our life that God is not advancing us and he's not advancing our prosperity and he's not advancing our comfort, but he's advancing the gospel through whatever situation we might find ourselves in. And it's with great intention. It's really important to understand what Paul is saying. It's also important to to see what Paul is not saying. Let's start with what Paul is not saying. He's not saying that he enjoys being prisoner and finding himself in prison. There's a part of Paul that's human like the rest and says, I want my freedom. I want to be able to go about. I want to go be able to go get a hamburger if I want a hamburger and not just eat whatever they bring to me. I want my freedom. So he's not saying I enjoy being a prisoner. It's actually a good life. Any more than we would say that we enjoy our times of suffering. So he's not equating times of suffering with something to to really like. He's also not saying that it's a lot of fun to be chained to a big, hairy soldier. We're going to find ourselves in situations that are not comfortable, that we would not choose. Out of a list of a thousand things, it would be number 1,001. Paul's not saying that he's 
enjoying this, that he would have chosen this, what he is saying is that the overall mission of God and really what his heart was to, to see the gospel advance is being served by his imprisonment. Paul's given one of those moments of discernment when he sees with spiritual eyes instead of just physical eyes. And I don't know about you, but I'm finding it more and more a need. In one way, the need is always there, guys, to see spiritually instead of physical eyes. But are, are are you needing that discernment more and more in the day and the age that we live in? Are you needing more and more and more to see with spiritual eyes and discern? And that's what Paul is doing here. Look what he says again. So that it may become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest that my imprisonment is for for Christ. I can see that God is doing something here. Paul was looking how the guards were actually chained to him, not him to the chain, uh, him to to them. I, I think that, can you imagine being one of those soldiers? the elite of the elite, looking at your schedule for that week, and you see that you have Paul prison duty, and you've already heard, or maybe you've already experienced, all the guy's going to talk about is Jesus this whole time. All he's going to talk about is how this son of God came and lived a perfect life and how he died a willing death and rose again on the third day. That's all we're going to hear. They're getting a degree in theology. Six hours at a time as they're chained to Paul. And Paul says, this was appointed. It wasn't just happenstance. It just didn't kind of work out this way. It was purposeful. I I think the same way that that God purposed the fish to come and, and swallow up Jonah. If you go back and look at that story, it says, and God appointed a fish. There's other times it says, and God appointed a wind. And God appointed this. Sovereign God appoints things. He just says things and they happen. Let there be light. And guess what? There was light. This is the God that we serve. This is the God who is. He's a God of purpose. He's a God who is sovereign. He is powerful. He he has all knowledge. He is working toward an end. And what is that? The advancement of his gospel. And Paul has the spiritual insight to be able to see that. So that when these guards come, he doesn't say, oh man, that guy hasn't taken a bath in a week. He's able to go, oh, Smelly's coming tonight. I got six hours with him. Bobby, did we just... Did we just be silly about our pain and our suffering then? And do we just kind of turn it around? In a way, are you really saying, just turn that frown upside down? No, I would never be as trite. Because there's going to be a day, guys, when I could be in your living room dealing with the most discouraging, the hardest hardship that you've ever had, something you could never have imagined. And the sorrow and the suffering is so evident. It's the darkest cloud you've ever experienced in life. And at that moment, we're going to have to be able to see with spiritual eyes to have any hope. 
And especially if it is something that is not just caused by, by your rebellion or some silly choice that you made, but it truly is a work that God is doing for the advancement of the gospel. We need to have that hope. And that hope is not fulfilled by just, okay, get a different attitude. We have to have this deep down bedrock foundational belief that God is doing something. Because you know what really happens when, when sorrow and, and hard times and suffering comes in our life? I shared this with you before. We get the why gods. And there's three questions that we ask of God almost instinctively out of our humanity at that time. We've asked, why this? Why me? Why now? In some form, have you asked those questions before? Have you asked those this week? (laughs) It's not that you think, okay, God, I don't deserve somehow for, you know, bad things to happen or suffering to enter into my life. You say in your word, it's not a strange thing when this happens. Don't be surprised when suffering happens. He's given us the warning. But yet when it happens to us, our humanity kind of rises to the surface. And these three questions in some form or fashion come out. Why this? Why me? I mean, what about, you know, Fred down the street? I go to church. He doesn't. I, I tried to love my wife well, and I, I've heard stories about him and his wife, and all of a sudden we'd want to do this comparison among other people, and part of our complaint to God, part of our quandary toward God, is, God, I've been trying to be pretty good. Do you think Paul kind of measured up pretty good against other men? I'm not saying that's how we should measure one another, but do you think that Paul would have won that race compared to a lot of people? I mean, do you want to measure yourself up to Paul? So from a human perspective, if if this humanity comes out and one of our first things is, okay, why God? And one of our first thoughts is, I really don't deserve this. There's other people that I can point to if you want me to show you some that, that do. That's not the answer. And Paul doesn't resort to that. The reason that we ask those questions is that initially it looks like whatever the circumstances that we're in is either difficult or impeding something that that we have as as an objective for our life. I mean, it can be as simple as a flat tire, guys. We're going to work. God, don't you know I need to get to work? Why this? Why me? Why now? That's kind of a silly situation, but what about one that's much more dire? We find out that we don't have a job anymore. This is job is how we provide for our family. I mean, at that point, isn't there kind of a part of your humanity that says, why this? Why me? Why now? I'm a hard worker. Why did I get laid off? Why did my company shut down? I mean, can you see how authentic that would be in our humanity? And yet, what if God is using circumstances in our life to advance the gospel. Paul was finding out that God often has purpose in those difficulties, and he certainly thought that he had purpose in this difficulty. Not only were the Roman guards hearing the gospel, but this would have been a group that he would not have normally uh, been able to entertain. 
When Paul went into new cities, when he was on missionary trips, where did he start preaching? Almost instinctively, almost every time. The synagogue, to the Jewish people. And then he would maybe go out and he would talk to others. Okay, how many Roman guards, this praetorium, this elite of the elite, do you think that were going to show, show up at revival in Rome? Going to the synagogue? Not likely. And Paul, is, with his spiritual eyes, is able to say, okay, God, you just brought me to a group of people that more than likely I would have never been able to reach. And yet the gospel is being advanced. Soldiers, these elite soldiers, many of them trust him in Christ for their salvation. And then look what else happened. Look at verse 14. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. He said others are hearing story about what God is doing, how he's saving, saving these soldiers and, and how I've spoken and shared the gospel with them, and they're becoming bolder in their own sharing of the gospel. There's a book that um, I've done with uh, Brian Williamson and a couple others uh, in discipleship uh, by Danny Aiken. It's called uh, Ten Who Changed the World. And it's just about missionaries, people like uh, Lottie Moon and William Carey and Bill Wallace, Jim Elliott, uh, a couple others. And there's something about reading missionary stories that just inspire you. You know, and it says, okay, they were in Africa for 14 years and not a single convert. But they kept pleading away and they kept on going and they kept on going. And then all of a sudden, the, the, the king or some tribal leader accepted Christ and then a whole tribe and then a whole city. And you're going, man, that's inspiring. Well, that's what happened here with Paul. They hear of his story, that he's in prison, how he's sharing the gospel, how the Roman elite soldiers are trusting in Christ, and they get encouraged to talk all that much more. Bottom line, guys. In our human nature, plain and simple, we don't suffer well. And yet one of the things I believe that we need to instruct our kids and instruct uh, them as they're growing from a spiritual level, not so much just from a human level, from a spiritual perspective, is how to suffer well. Do you think your children, your grandchildren, your loved ones will one day face suffering in their life? When they face that, will they be spiritually prepared to see with spiritual eyes that God might be doing something? Let's say... Pastor Bobby, what if they brought it upon themselves? What if there was their own sin and rebellion? Do you still want them to see with spiritual eyes? I mean, if, if my kids are in rebellion against the, the Word of God, and, and they cause it, you know, it's not that God said, okay, I'm doing this to advance the gospel. He says, no, I, I did it because you reap what you sow. This is kind of a principle that I have in my Word. And I'm doing it because I, I'm going to discipline you. I want them to be able to see with spiritual eyes that there's a pathway back to this God. There's a pathway that he's provided through Jesus Christ that even in their rebellion, he corrects, he disciplines, but he welcomes back. But there will be a sometimes that I believe that maybe there's going to be suffering and there's going to be a hardship in lives because they've committed themselves to be one who helps to advance the gospel. And I want my girls and I want my grandchildren to know at that time, hey, it's not going to be easy, 
But God is using this. There's a thick forest, and it doesn't seem like you're going to be able to make it through those, that forest, but God is preparing a, a pathway for you to go to have battle and victory. Folks, we're all going to suffer. That's a given. The difference is, will we have the spiritual maturity, the spiritual eye to see what God is doing? John MacArthur said that. He said this. He said, one of the surest measures of a Christian's spiritual maturity is what it takes to rob him of his, of his spirit-bestowed joy. Would you agree with that? I mean, you don't have to, just because it's John MacArthur, you don't have to agree with him. I disagree with John MacArthur oftentimes. I can be wrong. That's what he would say. <laughs> One of the surest measures of a Christian's spiritual maturity is what it takes to rob him of his spirit-bestowed joy. Is that true? Is this because you're just really mature? Or is it because the Word and the Spirit, this maturity is, is not an age thing, but rather an experience thing? I've seen some 12-year-olds that trusted Christ better than some 82-year-olds. In simple childlike faith, I just... I mean, listen to... I mean, our girls' prayers were always really humbling because they were either really silly sometimes, thank you for the fork, thank you for the napkin, thank you... I'm going, thank you for the food so we can eat, okay? And they're going through all every utensil that we have. And then there's other times that they would pray. It is the most simple childlike prayer, and yet the most profound prayer. Thank you, God, because you're going to take care of it. And Dad's the preacher, and he's stressed out. Don't think for a second that Paul is just going, you know, hey, you got good days, you had bad days. Don't think that Paul's suffering was just elementary. In 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9, it says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. Whatever this thorn in the flesh, remember that story? So it's not like he said, ah, I like thorns. I don't, you know, I'll just keep on having thorns in the flesh. No, he says, Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, because of this, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so the power of Christ will rest upon me. How many of you prayed that prayer last week? I will boast all the more about suffering and weakness? Why? So that the power of Christ may rest upon me. I mean, really, how many of y'all prayed that last week? I didn't. If anything, my prayers would have been directed more of keep suffering for my family, from my girls, from my son-in-laws, from my grandchildren, from the people of the church. Paul went through some hard times. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. 
once I was stoned. And he wasn't talking about drinking, okay? He was talking about like rocks. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from frost brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's the daily pressure of me and my anxiety for all the churches. A blessed life? I mean, on on the back of his little chariot, does he have the bumper sticker, blessed? Apostle Paul, blessed. This guy had a hard life. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every way that you can see, Paul has a difficult life. And yet, what does he say? Even though he was still praying for the thorn to be removed, he said, "But, but I've learned, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Are you that spiritual? Are you that spiritually mature? Does it only happen to apostles and people that are going to write the Bible? And is there only a let few that God uses to kind of rise to that level of spiritual maturity? No, because the source of that, Paul's source, was not Paul. His source of that is the finished work of Jesus Christ. Here, here's the encouraging word, guys. You don't have to be Paul. You just need to know Jesus, okay? You don't need to be an apostle. You just need to be in Christ. And then desire to see with spiritual eyes, God, will you just show me? Because there's going to be times that if God does call you, even into hard times, to advance the gospel, that you're not going to like it. He still prayed, remove this thorn. Three times he prayed. I think he prayed a lot more. I think that was just his little fess-up job of going, okay, three times. But I found out this, that God's using it. Let me conclude with this. The rest of the passage, we're not going to go through verses 15 through 18. Let me just summarize it. As he's talking about it, he said there's others that are out there preaching. And you're talking about kicking a man when he's down. He said a lot of them are actually against me. They're not so much anti-Christ. They are preaching the gospel, some form of the gospel or anything. But he said they just don't like me. And so they're making fun of him. And so he not only had kind of other people that, uh, you know, the adversaries, but then he had other Christian brothers that were just making fun of Paul. Kicking a man when he's down. And he talks about that. But let me conclude with this. Do you suffer well? It's not natural, but it is possible. Let me share this with you. It's not even heroic. It's just simply trusting Christ. Maybe we all have a little hero meeting uh, meter in our heart. Have you ever wondered if there was a burning car and there was somebody, a little child, if you would go? Have you ever played that out in your mind? I, I don't know if it's just I'm weird, but I've played that out in my mind before. Yeah, I'm going to go in there. I mean, I don't know if you've ever played out your level of heroic actions. 
But I guarantee you this. If it's your son or your daughter, your wife or your husband, you're going in that fire. You don't have to be a hero and some kind of superhero that goes out there and does amazing things. Just all of a sudden you see need and you respond to the need. I I promise you we have that within us. And it's elevated and amplified when it's our own children, our own family. And so here's, here's my encouragement, guys. Do you suffer well? The very source that we don't want to suffer, our kids and our family, maybe the very place where God says, okay, you're going to be, I'm going to use you to come in here and, and see with spiritual eyes and have spiritual discernment in a time when everybody else is losing it. I, I want you to be the one that will help guide, not because you're a hero, but because you have spiritual eyes. And in a time of great crisis, you can say, we can trust God. Is there anything that you can't trust God with? I mean, not a trivia question. What about, can we go to that slide with the, the forest? I mean, have you ever been here in a figurative way? Not to that place. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> is that Stone Mountain? Where are you? What is no, no. Have you ever been to that place spiritually when there's not a pathway that you discern? You're in a situation and you just don't know where the next step is. All you see is woods and, and briars and kudzu. Remember that Greek word that Paul used. Where the army would come in, they would put woodcutters. Because that was going to be the pathway to the battle. And they would come in there and they would clear a path so that they could go forward. They could advance and progress toward a desired end. And that's the word that Paul uses today. That he's advancing the gospel. That God is somehow, in the mystery of all this, advancing the gospel even as he's there in prison. Spiritual eyes, guys, does not come to our human nature. Only comes from the very spirit of the, of the living God and through the power of his word. Let's pray this morning. Father, we, we love you and we thank you. And Father, today we, we come to a place in our lives when we know all too well, Father, what it is to suffer. And Father, we could have testimony this morning and I'm sure that some could stand up this very morning and say, hey, this week, here's suffering, here's the unknown, here's hardship, here's the heaviness that came into my life. Father, first, give us discernment to realize that if this suffering is part of just reaping what we sowed so that we can correct that and Father, that like you say in Hebrews, Father, that, that you'll discipline us. Why? Because a good father always disciplines his children so that we can be trained in godliness. But Father, there's nothing that we see in Paul's life here. There was nothing that we saw in Job's life. Where there's nothing that we saw at all in Jesus' life for suffering to come, and yet he is known as the suffering servant. Why? Because you were advancing the gospel 
through that suffering. And that's what we ask today, Father. Help us to have the spiritual eyes to see that. So that when suffering comes, especially because of the advancement of the gospel, because you're doing something, you're creating a pathway in the midst of a forest, Father. There's some hairy Roman soldier that needs to know you as Lord and Savior. And you cut a way through the forest so that he would come to life in Jesus Christ. Show us that, Father. Inspire us to that. You have not asked us to be heroic. You've asked us to cast our eyes upon the heroic one, Jesus Christ. And that's what we simply do, Father, during this time. That Christ, he's enough. He's enough. I don't need to be heroic. Because I've got my hero. And Christ is enough. We love you and we thank you, Father. And we proclaim this truth to you in song this morning. Let us not just sing words, but Father, help us to make a battle cry for our life this very week and respond to you. We ask all this in the hope of Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. To learn more about our church or our media ministry, you can visit us online at www.corner-stone.org or find us on Facebook.